0: Welcome to The Lighthouse Conversations. I'm Hasha Montasser speaking to you from my home in Dubai. I'm excited to share a recording of our live conversation with Louis Levos, founding partner at Astrolabs based here in the UAE. As you all know, it's been a few months since we've been quarantined at home, and I hope all of you are keeping safe. As part of our continuing conversation featuring entrepreneurs from the world of arts, culture, tech, and food, we held our first virtual episode on Facebook last week. Uh-huh. How do I look? You look great. Louis dialed in from Portugal, where he's currently spending his summer, to talk to us about how Astrolabs got started, and how he and his co-founder Muhammad managed to move from their previous startup, Namshi, to Astrolabs. Astrolabs currently has two main tiers of business, the co-working spaces, there are two in Dubai and one in Riyadh, and the academy a public face-in-one that anyone can join and take classes on coding, e-commerce, digital marketing, etc. As well as private sessions, they hold for and with governments, large corporations and universities.
1: When we started the co-working space, we didn't want to start co-working space. We wanted to make uh, the entrepreneurs' lives easier, right? And having co-working space without a license in our perspective was basically, uh, you know, not super useful for entrepreneurs who want to start a business, start a uh, bank account, hire people, give them visas and all this stuff. Um, so, you know, the, the co-working space is the envelope. But with it, it comes like a highly subsidized license, comes everything that you would need from, you know, printing to, you know, meeting rooms, uh, office supplies, internet, etc., cetera, with other you know, support services that you don't have to worry about uh, at all. You know, so you essentially of
0: facilitate my entry as a new startup into my company formation early phase, correct? Correct. So, so I mean... Uh, care of most of these things for me.
1: Uh, so, basically, you come, you apply to become a member. If we accept you, you start. Next day, you can, like, have, a, you know, uh, you know, a fully, you know, uh, fledged office with all of these services. Uh, one element is you don't, you know, so, so some of the companies want a license, right? Um, and, you know, this is for someone who... Either it doesn't have to license somewhere else or you know needs a bank account and residency and all stuff. But you can also use uh co-working space without the uh, you know the licensing sure. facilities as well. Sure.
0: Okay, and obviously this is a very uh, unusual time um, after COVID and the situation we're in, we're seeing acceleration of certain trends. Clearly, there's a huge acceleration in terms of digital digitization. So for companies that are already online or are pure online players, many of them e-commerce, um, web conferencing, etc. Cetera, etc., cetera, they've obviously seen a large increase of volume and demand for their services. Companies that were maybe mostly offline have very quickly started to ramp up to try to go online. From mm-hmm. your perch, because you are dealing with the Academy, so you've already had for many years now, courses and classes that deal with exactly that. I mean, I took one of your, your courses, which was terrific, a three-day course. Thank Me you. And my, uh, my, my co-founder of the Lighthouse. Because at the time, you know, we were starting um, an F&B operation. And we wanted to know, even if you hired someone, how do you do it? Because this way we could even if we, you know, bring in someone or a company uh, on board, we wanted to know what they're doing and have a sense for ourselves. So from your perch on that front, on the startups, but also, as you've said, perhaps corporates and governments and others that you sort of, quote unquote, advise and work with, have you seen that same trend? Is that very visible to you? No, definitely.
1: immediately from week two, you know, week one was panic mode. Uh, obviously, you know, you know, the like five stages of grief or something, you know, like there's people who are like in denial, uh, all the stuff, uh, panic, et cetera. But quickly um, some organizations um, started to realize that I need to do something about it. And, you know, in, in our region, it starts with for, for organization. Um, when, when someone comes and takes our uh, classes It's not someone that, you know, it's usually people who are either wanting to um, upgrade their uh, skills and upgrade their career within an existing organization, or they were let go, right? So even like the B2C demand that we see, you know, someone comes to like set up a company with us, they might have lost their job uh, and they come and they were like, okay, it's time to do my startup. Someone who also comes to take like our uh, week-long digital marketing class. Sometimes they also like lost their job or, you know, they're kind of like, worried about their job and they want to upgrade. In good times, actually people want to like, you know, move uh, up in their own organizations. In bad times, what we see is also like, kind of like this um, B2B led shift. From the B2B side, um, definitely tons of organizations got in touch. And, um, you know, we realized honestly that this was going to happen, you know, this maybe second week of March, we realized that people like will have e-commerce as the lifeline. Um, and we're like, okay, we've worked with big organizations on their e commerce initiatives in the past. But honestly, 99, way more, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the world doesn't know that we do this. So let's at least put it on a landing page on our website and tell kind of like, you know, people on LinkedIn that we do this e commerce programs. So from that, now it's basically like our list of people who are interested.
0: Uh, it's basically the who's who of every retailer in the region. If I come to you today, so let's use an example here. I'm an offline retailer, whatever I do, and I come and say, Louis, um, I need your help and I need to do this quickly and ramp up. And many of those are large organizations. So even to navigate their internal uh, network is not easy. You cannot really I mean, this is not a two week solution, right? I mean, this takes time. So what advice would you give? I mean, because this it takes companies months, sometimes years to build up a proper channel online. Listen, if if someone wants a
1: two week solution, there is a two week solution. There is a one day solution. You know, like what's, uh, what's the two
0: week solution? Give me a, a sense. So like, to... I mean, two week solution is actually
1: much more complex. But like you know, the the, the one week solution is you can you can start start, start shipping stuff. You can like put the, your your eight hundred number online or have people send you you know messages on WhatsApp and ship them stuff. Depending on how much you want to hustle, right? So so there's like you know, coffee companies that lost their you know B two B restaurant business. And, you know, they, they they need to, like, start uh, flipping uh, B2C immediately. You can, like, you can have people WhatsApp you and say, you know, two kilos, and this is the address, and you send it to them. Is this, the, like, the stable solution? No, but it depends on, the kind of, like, um, what you can achieve within that window, right? In, like, a few weeks, you can put a simple website up, honestly, like, probably even someone in the organization. People don't realize, okay, uh, we're not talking about, like, these, like, massive e-commerce plays, Sure. But again, we're dealing with crisis. Sometimes there's the short-term play, some of the medium-term, some of the long-term play. Uh, you can put like a uh, simple website up and, and start uh, selling stuff. Stuff is not that complex. E-commerce was done 20 years ago and there's a lot, a lot of off-the-shelf knowledge that you can do.
0: Okay. That that's said, it.
1: Mm-hmm. my recommendation, because that was your question, is, okay, there is going to be this, you know, uh, dip and all stuff. And you can try to, you know, run around trying to solve the super short-term solution, but instead try to think, okay, what does this fire help me achieve for the long-term, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's one there's survival, but two is what do I want to come out? Let, let's say, uh, you know, the COVID situation is four, five, six months, one year. Whatever it is, what are you going to come out on the other end uh, doing? You know, if you do the um, short-term fix, It's not going to be in the long term uh, making you a stronger
0: solution. Yeah, but can we just stay with this uh, example for a minute? I just want to take us through the entire uh, sort of chain here. You've helped me put together, cobbled together a quick fix in terms of a website that's functional enough for now. Okay. Yep. Now, how do I get get traffic? Because my customer base is not used, does not know I have a website. Do I start spending, uh, putting together a budget to spend online on Facebook and Google and so on and so forth? So what would you recommend? No, absolutely. Listen, also
1: it depends on your product category, right? Sure. I mean, no, I, I'm selling...
0: simplifying, but I just want to go yeah. through the entire process. Yeah, yeah. So
1: but I'm stuff. just like, kind of like giving an example. If you're like selling kind of like uh, golden seeds for like Bentleys that are, you know, uh, you know maybe that's uh, different than sure. if you're like a you know coffee supplier. But like, let's assume sure. you're kind of like a CPG, you know, coffee type or, you know, snacks or something. Hopefully, um, you have something to start with, you know, you know uh, maybe it's an email list, maybe it's a list of phone numbers, so, you know, some something. I mean, if you have nothing, you can also like uh, do it, obviously, uh, but you have to start from scratch. And in general, um, depending on kind of like the market segment and depending on also like what, you know, is, is this a product is like people that I absolutely need? Are they searching for where can I find this thing now? Uh, if there's a if there's search volume, you know, you can do some research and see, you know, on Google keyword search. Like, is there search volume that's out there that's looking for this stuff? You know, you could see actually there's some really interesting cool graphs that like as soon like as COVID hit, people were starting to search for like stationary bikes, treadmills, this type of stuff. Crazy, crazy demand. Yeah. And it's actually like they, they like disappeared from the whole market. So if there's actually like demand, um, you can like harness it by seeing, okay, you know, what kind of Google search traffic I can capture and all this stuff. And honestly, um, again, if there's demand, referral will be like a really important one. Like the, the first but I got this is my treadmill at, you know, website X and they have stock, you know, you should get it too, you know, um, etc. And then if, if it's like a product that like, you know, there's not as much volume or maybe there's like a little bit too much competition on that, then you can do like the other kind of like push marketing uh, kind of campaigns, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, et etc. Et Listen, again, it depends on kind of like the... Um, time frame because if it's like two weeks and you need to like move inventory then you have to spend money on marketing absolutely and then if you have longer time you can spend some more stuff on you know building kind of like you know content and other stuff that takes like months and months
0: so so why is it then do you think that still a lot of smaller companies startups smes etc complain that they are not able to get extract value online you know, because I mean, I know that you're simplifying the process a little bit. But I know in our community of a lot of companies that are startup of nature in nature, whatever it is, whatever it is that they sell, would tell me Hashem, I spend x and y on Google and Facebook and Instagram. And yet, you know, my yield, so to speak, is very, very low. Why do you think that is? Is it um, because they don't know how to optimize? Is it that they're not spending enough or being aggressive enough? Because a lot of people are spending, they don't have large budgets, but they are spending, but they're not getting, they they don't feel at least that they're getting um, anything back for their money. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I love
1: Google and Facebook. I have have loved friends in both. But they are basically black holes of money. You can can basically like bring a uh, truck, uh, 18-wheeler of cash and dump it and it'll disappear if you don't know what you're doing, right? Um, you, You should be like throwing like each... Uh, uh, you know, sent or fills one at a time into that black hole and see what happens. Do you get something back? You don't get something back. And that's the process of optimization you alluded to. And that's basically why our, you know, marketing class exists. You know, we have tons of people from startups to honestly like existing marketing managers managing multi-million dollar uh, budgets that come and, um, you know, they've not been exposed to this optimization performance marketing uh, thing remember just like 10 plus years ago, I remember the time when we started Namshi. I actually didn't want to build like a huge performance marketing team. I thought it was easier if I find like performance marketing agency that does this for me. This is 2000, 2011, 2012. So, uh, um, but I couldn't find anyone because like the people are used to like blasting ads on TV stations oh, and stuff. We had to build our own performance marketing team. Thankfully, there are more agencies now but honestly, the majority of agencies are not good. And right, so if they right. are kind of good, right. they have the wrong incentives because uh, many agencies are charging like percent of spend and this type of stuff. And again, you know, every now and then, uh, Google is a public company, Facebook public company. Again, the teams uh, are great people. But they're incentivized to make you spend more. Performance marketing is a quant world. And people, because there's the world marketing, think it's the creative world. Um, and um, just like most hedge funds don't make money, most marketing campaigns don't make money.
0: Look, both both are very large subjects. Uh, maybe we'll have mm-hmm. a separate podcast on hedge funds. I'd love to love to do that and put on my former banking hat. And also, obviously, the role of big tech, which is a whole different topic here. But you guys are Google accredited, right? As a as an institution, do you think there is a conflict of interest here because you have this large company? that in a way looms large. And I mean, they obviously want you to push their products as well. And you are providing, in some cases, independent advice. And I'm not just saying you, obviously this is a, a, yeah. a case that exists in many places. Do you feel in any way that there's a conflict there if you decide to go tell me, Masan, I, I, I'm, I'm in your space and you can come, come and say, look. Don't spend so much on Google. Actually, it's not worth your, 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 your budget. You should be putting it on, you know, I don't know, LinkedIn because it's less crowded and you're going to get more value for money. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I guess you haven't
1: uh, joined our uh, digital marketing uh, track, which is the week-long uh, class we no, do. No, I didn't. Um, I just told you that, you know, Google and Facebook are black holes of money and they want to take your money and they're incentivized to take your money. Zero conflict of interest. Uh, this is why people come to our training programs versus, you know, going to you know google itself or facebook itself to take their training programs they're super biased to talk uh uh, flack about uh the other uh company whereas we're uh, we're totally uh, unbiased our work you know we're a mission-driven organization our work is about creating this ecosystem and one component of creating this ecosystem is creating really high performance uh, (laughs) digital marketing people Sure. Because a company from a startup or a bigger company will not grow if they don't really know where each dollar being spent, what kind of return on investment it is. This this if an ecosystem will be still wasting money on like marketing, mm-hmm. and the money will go to Mountain View and. Uh, and I guess
0: and most your, of them are Mountain your View. Your view, Louis, if you would compare the region to other parts of the world, uh, yeah. US, Europe, in terms of the sophistication, to so this problem we discussed, namely startups or SMEs with limited budgets, finding it difficult to get value of, for money on, in their digital marketing and performance marketing. That's probably a worldwide phenomenon, but do you, uh, where would you benchmark us versus other parts of the world in terms of effectiveness?
1: Yeah, listen, um, I mean, um, we can co- uh, talk about averages. Uh, yeah, yeah, In yeah, average, we're super behind, but you can find people in the you know, region That are like world class. You know, you can find people in the region that are like, you know, uh, Silicon Valley grade uh, marketers. Um, Are they few? Yeah, they're
0: super few. Uh, But those are super behind. Is it because it's just we came in late to the game?
1: Listen, I mean, uh, uh, it's not like you know uh, part of the DNA to know the stuff. So, uh, and on average, honestly, um, you you should not expect an ecosystem to only drive to to only be driven by like super smart people. Because some of the stuff becomes common knowledge and it's like taking time to trickle. And this is why, you know, honestly, we we felt like because we didn't have the Ebays and Yahoo's and all this stuff, that we need to short circuit the ecosystem a bit to to build these like infrastructure capabilities that we're doing, you know, at Astrolux, uh to kind of fast track our uh, development in ecosystem. Last year, we graduated like more than a thousand people that have done at least our week-long digital marketing class. I think that's like a really huge contribution. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh I'm biased, but uh, it's, it would take multiple Karres, many, many Kareem's to create that much performance marketing talent.
0: Some time back when I used to be a banker and I was in asset management, I built an asset management business, uh, which was a regional business. I had started my career working for large Wall Street firms and many other of my, my colleagues, let's say that worked with me in that same asset management firm, but also some of our competitors, were similar. They they got the building blocks, the toolkit, and then came here and did something from scratch or within a large smaller company, and had in some ways, in, at least during that period of time, the best of both worlds. You know, uh, early two thousands, let's say, uh, a whole bunch of companies within investment banking, asset management, private equity, etc., that were regional in nature that did very well for a while, at least. Why did we not see something or not seeing something similar? in that world. In other words, you've alluded to this earlier. Why do we not today have the super agency that is ex Googlers and ex Alta Vista, etc., etc., but that also knows preferences of speaks the local language. And by speaking, I don't mean just Arabic. I meant like understand the local preferences, put these two together and you create this phenomenal agency that everybody wants to work with. <sighs> um. There's two, two thoughts, I
1: guess. This is like a complex question, and it's a very interesting one. Um, I think um, one we do see a little bit of it. Uh, we do see people come and like you know start small agencies, and we might not have heard of them because they're still small, and it takes time to build a you know service business. Okay. Two, as you know, service business is hard. So if I'm like a wow performance marketing person, maybe I work somewhere else because you know one you have clients yelling at you. To collecting money in the region is, I think, worse than like most other places. Um, and working at Google in Dubai is comfortable. Uh, so th- that's one element of it.
0: But so was working at Goldman Sachs in Dubai. And still people had decided at the time to try to do something else. Not everybody. Many stayed at yeah. the Goldman Sachs of the world. So listen,
1: the other, the other answer, uh, or maybe two others. One is, actually, I do know of some Googlers thinking about it. Okay.
0: Um,
1: yeah. Uh, but This is remember, like
0: market-breaking news.
1: The most advanced uh, performance marketing people at Google are not working in Dubai, right? You know, we're working with account managers, very nice people, smart people, but they're not really deep in the technical details because it's a sales office at the end of the day. You know, it's a sales office with like a lot of smart people, a lot of ex-consultants, and maybe unlike the Goldman Sachs office, they're not doing deals and all the stuff that, like, you know, they're not learning the craft at a deep enough level to go and start that company themselves. So that's one element. Two. The agency business, I think, in the region is a bit kind of weird. Uh, I actually don't know too much about it. It's like, you know, it's like an oligopoly uh, and all this stuff. And I'm not sure if the the people that know more about it are excited to enter it uh, themselves. Uh, uh, That said, there are a lot of small players. I'm I'm optimistic, but it's not going to, like, you know, happen overnight.
0: Let's shift gears here a little bit and talk a little bit about you. So I want to kind of rewind here and go back. You grew up in Lebanon and then went to the States um, for college, then yeah. stayed, worked, and you've straddled a number of interesting cities, not your, the ones that one would expect typically. So, yeah. um, and then you wind up saying how long was your entire stay in the States? Quite, quite some time. Yeah, yeah. So it was um,
1: basically four years uh, undergrad and around undergrad, four years of uh, work and two years of business school.
0: And you uh, worked in Cleveland and Philadelphia, so and, you just uh, left your school and said, I want to go to Cleveland?
1: No, I, I um, left my school, um, like, this was 2004. You know, I started school actually thinking about, I'm going to do phys- uh, going be, become a physics major. Okay. Uh, and I transferred to engineering. And then during it, I got the like, uh, exposure to entrepreneurship, uh, that's a, a separate story on its own. Um, and I realized that actually like, I kind get, want to get like exposure to the world of business, mm. but we were coming out of the 2002, 2003 recession. If you remember, um, I ended up super luckily a few months after graduation, um, with this, um, offer to join a manufacturing company, but like very diversified. Um, and I started in there, like inside sales team. And I thought honestly, like for a, for a super nerdy engineer, like nerdy is nerdy, um, this is like trial by fire of like get out there and like uh, speak to people and all the stuff. you know the job was a lot on the phone, although it was not like you know an outside sales job, you know not knocking and like selling Bibles or whatever, but uh, selling uh, Tupperware. It was uh, It was actually still talking to people on the phone the whole time, the outside sales people, customers and all the stuff, super different than like the ultra nerdy uh, world of engineering and physics. So um, uh, the management in that uh, organization kind of realized that this guy is kind of like weird in some ways, but like in good ways. So they enrolled me in this program called the Leadership Development Program, which is like a rotational program they uh, do to develop the general management uh, cadre of the organization. Um, So from there, it was mostly kind of like, these are your options, Maybe Cleveland was the first one I forgot, or Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and it was like nine months, around nine months in each position. Totally different function of the organization, totally different division. No, no one come. A truck would come, take all of my stuff from my apartment. It's not like I'm going like in a hotel and stuff. Like take everything, break the lease every year, uh, sign a one-year lease, break it at nine months, and then like go uh, to a new city. No, no one. New function, new organizational stuff. Amazing experience. Work with incredibly smart people, um, but the that's the that's the big but <laughs> is uh, it's manufacturing. Mm. So a lot of my assignments um, were closing plants, shutting down plants in Michigan, in New Jersey, and other places. You know, I was getting my hands dirty all the time. Mm. But this was getting your hands dirty and being depressed about like sure. people losing their job,
0: sure. shipping
1: the jobs to Mexico. Sometimes uh, when it It didn't make sense, but for you know tax reason, it makes sense because if you put it there and then you have your uh, Swiss entity on it. Listen, um, that that may be a little bit kind of cynical about the whole kind of manufacturing world in the US. And I was like, you know what? I need to do something else, whatever it is. So I applied to business school and got in and went to HBS.
0: And when was the entrepreneurial bug? planted was it hbs was it when you came back to the region uh back. listen
1: i think since i was a kid I, I always thought that i'd be doing my own stuff and all this okay. stuff uh when you talk about bug, there is like a occasion that happened where i was sitting in engineering class and a professor walks in not our professor and says we're starting this engineering entrepreneurs program uh anyone else said to uh, join it you know contact me i contact him it was a program that, uh, you know, exposes you on a weekly basis to, you know, startups. This is, you're talking, 2002. Um, and then all your kind of like uh, design projects and engineering are just made to be a startup, you know, whatever, theoretical one. But uh, you kind of get that uh, our, our spring break, you know, most of my uh, classmates were going to Cancun and all the stuff. And our spring break was to the Silicon Valley in 2003. Uh, where we met Steve Wozniak, we had lunch with him, we, you know, we met like, startups. Back then, startups were super different uh, because there was a lot of hardware at that stage. You know, People were playing a lot with phones and the new f- form factors happening with the keyboards. Anyway, um, that, that's where the bug uh, was. Okay. That said, the context is I grew up with no money. So it's not like uh, you know uh maybe maybe you know more courageous people would would jump on it immediately, but they grew up with no money at all, so I needed to build something uh, some kind of cushion to be able to like start to, you know be more comfortable doing my own thing and uh kind of working in the u s learning management learning sales learning supply chain all the stuff just you know was was just felt uh, that
0: it made sense. But to me, it still indicates that you were really very interested in doing something on your own, because obviously if you were worried about just fi- financial, sort of the financial side, you would have spent, you know, five years at the McKinsey's of the world or any of those places. Yeah. But you spent, I think, just enough for you to be comfortable. And then when you came here back to, back to the region, uh, Namshi was a startup at the time, right? So this was not, this was a high risk um, yeah, uh, type of opportunity.
1: I guess a couple of things. Um, um, the um, you asked earlier about like you know why consulting and all this stuff. I was in
0: business school,
1: um, and again we were coming out of the 2008 2009 recession.
0: And thirty percent of your class graduating classes go into consulting. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically,
1: there's people who got job either got jobs in consulting or like some other places. Some people didn't get job until like much later and all this stuff. I was looking at what what are the options for me to move anywhere closer to my parents. You know, we said earlier, 10 years in the U.S., uh, you know, parents who could visit only once per year because you have 10 days of vacation per year in the U.S. So it's it's just like not doable, uh, not not part of my DNA. So um, I was looking for anything closer to Lebanon. And um, the offer uh, came from McKinsey, Dubai, and I took it and spent a bit less than a year there. And when Muhammad sends an email out to the whole office saying, I'm uh, planning on leaving, I'm leaving to start a new company, I reply immediately saying, like, is this for real? And uh, he says, yes, let's talk.
0: Just to explain, Muhammad is your current co-founder. He's my current co-founder and
1: my previous co-founder with Namshi. Okay. Mohammed Maki. Uh, people probably know him. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, so um, uh, two weeks later, I was out. Um, I was honestly, I wasn't sure... What this will become, I have no idea. But I knew that I wanted to kind of like try something different. And after a year in consulting, I had paid most of my MBA loan. Uh, the nice thing also about like growing up, not uh, much money, almost no money, is you don't need a lot of money. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so basically, like you know, if, if you if you want to be repaying your uh, business school loan. You repay it. You know, you don't have to live, you uh, know, super,
0: uh, in a super posh way uh, and extravagance. So, um, yeah, uh, I'll fast forward a little bit and just to walk us through the transition from Namshi to Astrolabs. How did that come up? Why did you and Muhammad decide to stick together? Because I mean, it's a business decision. It's an emotional decision. It's 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 a very complex. So, did you guys have a good experience at Namshi? And if so, why did you decide to pivot to this? Walk us through some of your thinking at the time.
1: So the, the most important context um, is that at Namshi we raised a lot of money, a lot of money early, right? Um, and uh, that is one of the lessons that I kind of like, you know, go 180 degrees against right now. Uh, when you do that, um, the company grows like, you know, I mean, if you if you if you invest the money correctly, right? There's like a million examples of company is wasting all that money. But if you you, uh, invest the money correctly after uh, you raise it, uh, you can grow quickly. But then the
0: control component of uh, the company ownership goes away, right? By control Uh, component, are you talking about dilution of your ownership? Or are you talking about Company culture or both?
1: No, so, so company culture, uh, thankfully, you know, the people that at least worked at Nemchi then can like, you know, uh, we were able to shape it like in a deep, deep way. And this is why also a lot of talent uh, that is still across the region now still talks about like the amazing days uh, of uh, Nemchi time. But you don't have like a strategic decision uh, capabilities, right? You're always finding the investors on this and that and all the stuff. Um, and we had one of the worst, obviously, investors. You know, people might not know it, but like you know, this a uh, uh, investment company called Rocket Internet in Berlin, and they have like a, uh, a
0: reputation for being super aggressive. Sure. And listen, you you, you do something um, when you took the money. Did you not go into some due diligence and go to maybe some other portfolio company and be like, "Hey, guys, you took money from Rocket. Uh, what's been your experience?" No, listen. Uh, this uh, these conversations had happened before
1: I even like joined Muhammad. Uh th- this was kind of like uh I the the Rocket, rocket was, was already there. Yeah, the, the the Rocket was planning on starting something in the region and it was gonna be something like noon style uh or something else. And around those like last weeks, uh before I joined, they were like discussing kind of like the like fashion e-commerce uh model. Um so it's not like, you know, we started the company, bootstrapped it, and like we were picking on the investors and all this stuff. It was like, there's this seed of money a couple of million bucks, and uh, you know, we can uh, start this venture. And that kind of made stuff easier because remember, in fashion e-commerce, you spend a lot of money on inventory and it's just basically impossible to do it otherwise. Uh, it's impossible to yeah, do it. I'm you after cannot, after, yeah. I don't know if any fashion e-commerce company has ever been like bootstrapped at the beginning
0: just within that context, because you alluded to this earlier. So when you started astrolabs, you went kind of the other extreme. So when I asked you the other day, I was like, you guys are venture funded, because I assumed so because you're now in you have, you know, four, di- three different cities, I guess, three or four different cities. So you know, this costs money, right? <laughs> to, to build a place, you have a co working space to build on your program, etc. And you were like, No, we're completely bootstrapped. So was yeah. this sort of a, a complex quote unquote, coming from your Namshi days. And the follow-up question to that is, uh, when you're bootstrapped now, is there days where you go back and say, you know what, maybe we should have raised a little bit of money because we can move faster, and this way maybe other competitors or others cannot catch up as quickly? So listen, I, I think um, different models force,
1: force different uh, decisions.
0: Uh, kind of like, uh, yeah, decisions and financial
1: strategies. We could not have done, Namshi at all, bootstrapped. So we had to take right. money uh, from whom uh, is a different story and was it Namche or something else a different story. But um, we, when we were doing Astrolabs we knew it was like just at the top is like a mission driven company that is going to do an impact in this region but we didn't know anything else. And when you want to be in, uh, you know, uh, experimental and um, opportunistic
0: it's easier not to have investors. Okay. Yeah, 100%. but this was this was at the beginning that I get completely. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, I mean, just kind of on a, on a personal anecdote, when we started the lighthouse, because we didn't come from that business at all it was exactly the same. We bootstrapped it yeah. with self finance, because we said, you know what, if we make the most mistakes, or if you fail, uh, we don't want to string others along. And we yeah. only started looking at outside financing when we felt we had a footing with the exception of a few very close friends and family. So that I completely understand. But now you're further down the line. Your business is quote unquote set listen
1: uh one i don't think the business is set we're still opportunistic we still uh think that we could be a hundred times bigger and i kind of like don't want investors like um, uh, i outside i'm in portugal right now i spend my summers in portugal uh, i pick my team i pick the projects uh, we want to work on um like there's there's kind of like no reason Speed, for me, is not like a good thing. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, we could do stuff faster, but, you know, why, uh, you know?
0: so am going to so, push back some more. Sure, you sure. could have investors that are aligned. They don't have to be the rocket type. I mean, you can have no, an investor no, no. that's silent, that's very much, and tells you, you know what, you, Louis, you and Muhammad, go ahead, spend as much time you want in Portugal, I don't care. Um, try different things out you know it, it does it's not just so i'm just pushing back because i want people that are listening to understand yeah because i think those are the kind of um these are the kind of uh, forks of the road that many of us face when you yeah. start in businesses and there's no right or wrong here so i want to just kind of get
1: no listen about like four or five years ago we entertained a group of people that wanted to put money to scale the co-working business uh in us um and after like a couple of months of kind of entertaining it and even like, you know, building a model. We're like, you know what, no, um, because we just, you know, not sure on like this model uh, itself and we want to do whatever we, we please. So that group was a nice group. I'm not saying like the investors in like in essence. Yeah, is
0: friendly, uh, fr- friendly people that can work with you. If you do know
1: someone who wants to give me like a bunch of millions of dollars and will never ever talk to me again, maybe I'll talk to them and they're always like adv- amazing advice whatever I decide on doing listen I'll entertain it that but I right now that, that's right like now true. you know who, who's doing that our customers our customers are giving us millions of dollars and we're using that to finance the company zero salary cuts at Ashland everyone getting you know uh, no salary cuts uh, a good chunk of the team is getting like 100% of the salary right now and there's uh, some people are like small delays so you know why uh I am in a rush to go anywhere.
0: That's sort of very, very against a lot of what we see and what we learn in places like HBS and others, right? It's like the run, 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 the whole model of sort of, you know, you have to scale and scale it quickly and the Facebook break things and blah, blah, blah. So I I, I like this philosophy. I want to go a little bit deeper into this. Why are you okay with the concept uh, of let me take my time and do it as it comes? Um, This connects to two other
1: ideas. Yeah. Actually, it connects to a bunch more because it's, it's at the core of a philosophy. Um, people talk about like building ecosystems. There's no shortcuts in life. I don't know. Do you have you ever had a herb garden or a garden overall? Go flooded with water. Flooded with, uh, you know, uh, what do Pesticide. you call it? Uh You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, not pesticides but um, flooded with fertilizer flooded, flooded with water. It doesn't make it grow faster. And this is what ecosystems are. Ecosystems are delicate things that you have to have patience of and do them over 5, 10, 20 years. And as an organization, you could try to go faster, but you'd be probably hurting the ecosystem. There's like, um, uh, you probably, you know, as a, as a restaurateur, have uh, watched uh, Hero Dreams of Sushi, Hero Dreams know. of Sushi, I guess. I mean, imagine, like, he, he, like, flips the switch and he has, like, franchises everywhere and, like, one in Disney World and all the stuff, blah, blah. It, would it be the same thing? No. We, yeah. we we love the craft. We love creating things. I mean, it's not like we don't want to be bigger. We're growing 100% year-on-year, year, uh, sure. so sure. it's not that we're... Uh, we we do not want to be bigger. But uh, this year, to the but uh, there, there is organic growth that fits what, you know, uh, the ecosystem needs and helps us think deeply about where we invest, helps us, um, you know, um, match the right products with the right segments, all this stuff. Plus, everyone on our team, if they work productively, have an amazing, balanced, you know, life. You know, they don't need to be at the office super late. Uh, they can spend time with their kids. I have a 20-month-old uh, son. And... I have put him to bed almost every single night since he was born.
0: Sure.
1: Almost every single night myself with my hands
0: and the most of his kid. naps too. What? The poor kid did nothing. Exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: no, no, joking. Um, and also most of his naps uh, as well because I put him to his morning nap before I leave to the office. Sure.
0: That oh, is priceless to me. I, I completely hear you, and I, I have to say I subscribe to a very similar philosophy in that sense. And I have learned the hard way maybe in my very early thirties, as I said, when I was doing this asset management business, it was all about running and growing and so on and so forth. And there was merit to it, but I learned a lot from that. And in, in my forties now, and in the current businesses that I work on and work with and invest in, I very much take a very similar approach. So I completely understand. I was probing because I think it's a point that comes up uh, a lot. And in, in And I have also learned from my personal experiences in those sort of and nothing against him, God bless him. And, you know, the harvests of the world and so on. There's so much emphasis on this concept of, you know, uh, bigger, faster, quicker, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then they're like, oh, yeah. but also do meditation and yoga. I mean, it just, <laughs> it's just not, I have to say to me, this came a bit later in life. So 10, 15 years ago that there was an utter lack of balance. And maybe that's why I decided to make changes in yeah. the way- Basically in 2006,
1: uh, I was like 25 years old. I was on one of those projects uh, that is like moving a plant from, you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan, to Reynosa, Portage, uh, Michigan. And I would wake up in the morning and like blood. uh, I was like gnawing my teeth so much. It's like blood coming out of my gums uh, in the morning.
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah. grinding. Um, So um, one day I woke up and I was like, why is this happening to me? If the whole company goes bankrupt, Who gives? So the next morning I woke up better. And honestly, since that day, I have that perspective that you do work you're proud of. Uh, You try to do your best to people who are close to you. I have kind of like the circle of uh, closeness uh, mentality, but also like people that, you know, never knew you that, um, are nice people that want to pay it forward and then that's, that's, that's the best you can do and then you live your life. I, I love reading books. I spend like two hours reading books and I, every day I email people telling them I cannot meet. If I if I meet more people, I either spend less time with Galileo or my son
0: or with my books. I couldn't agree more and I think um, it's very important for, for, for people to hear that because there's uh, as, as hard as I think entrepreneurs work and I'm sure you do and I know I do and everybody in my team does as well. If you don't have that balance and if you can not set your own priorities, um, I think a lot of things go wrong. I completely agree with you. So I've learned again the hard way, for example, that all my important meetings I now take usually early in the morning where I have a lot of clarity and I do, you know, one, two, at most three and that's it. It doesn't mean I don't work for the rest totally of the Totally opposite world. strategy for me. Yeah, but whatever works for you, right? <laughs> my point being is yeah, yeah. Look, to me, very early morning, I'm, you know, very clear i'm not agitated i'm still and i do my best work it doesn't mean i don't work for the rest of the day but i can maybe do things that don't require as much sort of mental processing Um, and i think people and maybe hopefully this period now with people being at home will be used for some more self-reflection but i wanted to break the stereotype of a every startup has to raise an enormous amount of money early and and many of them as we well know Uh, including the ones that have done really, really well in terms of exits, the Kareem's and others that you mentioned, you know, even those business models are challenged, let alone smaller companies. Um, And then secondly, the issue of as entrepreneurs, that sort of it has to be all or nothing, that you can't have balance, you can't find... Okay, well, um, we have a few more minutes left. I just want to quickly ask you, given the current situation... uh, I've got three hours for this, by the way. Oh, perfect. Well, you're going to be on your own for the next two. But <laughs> but I'm glad you did. Um, so, you know, obviously some elements of your business now might be under some pressure, given the, the COVID situation, you know, especially the co-working space as you're looking. And it's hard to say today, but I want to get your thoughts forward. I mean, when people are worried about social distancing, they're worrying about, you know, all of these things. Do you think you're going to have to reconfigure parts of your model or do you believe that it's just a matter of time, and if you kind of are able to survive and kind of grind through this period, you'll go back to, to the same thing?
1: Um, yeah, number two, um, same thing. Uh, people, I, I think uh, the pandemic is super, super important and a serious threat to all of us, and should take it seriously. But honestly, in the long term, it's nothing. Um, in the long term, it should teach us uh, you know, some lessons but um life will go back to normal um in the meantime we uh we will you know obviously uh people will social distance within the space people will find their kind of comfort uh, maybe some people will not be comfortable with coworking space and they'll leave but what we found is as soon as the uh the coworking space never closed by the way uh, because it's, it's an office, so you cannot like, block it for people. It never closed since we opened it, like, five years ago. Not, not even one day. Um, so um, people were still going all the time. But now people are so happy to, to be back. People crave human contact. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Humans are, are social
0: creatures. The people that human are, like, flash. thinking
1: that, like, okay, we might do some more webinars. I might do some more webinars. Uh, but not as much as we're doing now. But I'm definitely going to do way, more, way fewer Zooms and all this stuff. I'm going to go meet people. Yesterday, my wife uh, and I went to dinner uh, in Lisbon. It was the first day of restaurants opening back again here, and we were celebrating. She just uh, started a new job yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, and it was so nice to be like I don't know any of the people in the restaurant, but so nice to like see strangers with smiley faces enjoying themselves. I'm really excited for yeah, you guys to do. Re- I go-
0: I- when are you guys reopening? Well, we'll see. I mean, yeah. you know, sooner, hopefully, than later. But obviously, we're just waiting for it. We have that's whole different conversation. But it's, it's a, it, the, our model is as such that our customers have to be coming in happy and able to relax. And until that happens, we don't expect it to be 100% as it was before. But I need to be able to give you that feeling. And uh, currently, yeah. with the regulations of 30% capacity, et cetera, et cetera, it's disposables. Dude. it's hard to do. Yeah. So yeah, we're yeah. just waiting for the right one. So listen, sure, we, people, we'll people will come the opening as well. and they will come with
1: electricity. Uh, I, I have two co-working spaces in Dubai and we have a third office that you've seen in Courtyard. that's really beautiful. Correct. And I still, at least one day per week, I go work from a cafe uh, so? because I love being around other humans. Uh, I've, I've worked in a Lighthouse a bit before our meetings in D3. Um, I've worked in many other cafes in Dubai from Rx to Cassette to others and etc., uh, people love this. This is a multi-thousand-year-old a tradition, and it's not going to go away.
0: No, hundred percent. The
1: problem is financial on the short term. How, how we're going to manage through it? But yeah.
0: and we think of it the same way. It's about getting through the short term so we can be stronger in the, in the medium and long term, for sure. Yep. Well, listen, that's been uh, it's been great. Thank you very much for. For your time. I didn't throw as many curveballs as I wanted Where are the curveballs? Throw I know, one. I know I know, I know. Throw I'm one. Awesome Louis, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, yeah. thanks for everyone that, that tuned in. I hope you enjoyed this live conversation, and if you weren't able to join us, we hope to conduct another one soon. In the meantime, all our episodes are available for free in your favorite podcast player and on the web at thelighthouse.ae slash podcast. The Lighthouse Conversations is hosted by me, Hashem Montasser, and produced by Chirag Desai. You can connect with us on Instagram at thelighthouse.ae for more. And if you like our conversations, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share our link with a friend. We'll see you in two weeks.